welcome back to How You Slice It. Uh, today, we've got someone very special, Johnny Pavlik. Johnny is the founder. I'm, I'm getting to you, Johnny. I'm getting to you. Johnny is the founder and owner of Johnny's Pizza in North Carolina, uh, with three locations and, and a food truck and quickly growing. Uh, there we go. Uh, a significant social media presence. Uh, he's one of the most well-known pizzeria owners, not only in North Carolina, but but in the country. Um, incredibly outspoken, has one of the most powerful stories that I've known and, and heard. And I'm really excited for you to come on board here and share that story with the world and, and the pizza community. Welcome, Johnny. Really, really special uh, opportunity to have you here. And I'm excited for this conversation. I am too. Awesome to be here, Alir. You've been a uh, an inspiration for me. And even though I kind of rejected the Slice platform for a little while, it quickly blew up after I, you know, put it all on the table and said, let's do this. So uh, our partnership has been one of my favorite. Um, we will go into some of the stories. You've been to our office. Uh, I think it's uh, a shining example of what's possible when we as a, as a team can work together with you and your team. And we can go into some of those, uh, some of those outcomes that I think we've created. And um, yeah, so much of your success has to do with your openness and embracement of our platform and, and obviously vice versa. It's a true, uh, true partnership. And hopefully we can continue to create those partnerships with, uh, with more and more operators around the country and eventually globally. But to, to kick things off, how did you get into the pizzeria business? Like, let's go all the way back <laughs> to like, why you, why pizza? Um, I think it had to do with a, just loving pizza. It was my favorite food. So I always look forward to eating pizza. That was like, I mean, that's my earliest memories. You're talking four or five years old. You know, pizza night was like my favorite thing. So let's just start there. You know, when you look forward to pizza your whole week, you know, and what surrounds that, you know, the weekend, having fun, playing, you're a young kid, but pizza was definitely in my mind. So, you know, as you grow, you know, you start to get fond of a certain place or places wherever you may live. And um, it obviously turned into that age where, you know, you start your mobile, you start riding your bike, which, you know, I don't know if kids do now at 11, 12, but, uh, you know, we would ride our bike all over town and, um, you know, we had our spots, we stopped that and it was usually a pizzeria. Um, so we would, you know, take our, our, uh, you know, our allowance money and blow it all on pizza and video games. That's pretty much what we used to do. That was like our, that was like the most fun we would have, you know, after school or on the weekend growing up. What, what was um, the, what was the, what was the town and what, do you remember the name of the pizza shop? Yeah. Yeah. This was, uh, this was Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And the place that I went to just happened to be a New York style pizzeria that was from a group of guys from Brooklyn that had spread into the Southeast and opened up a bunch of places. And it was called Tony's pizza, Tony's pizza. Um, yeah. Tony's pizza. Um, they had a bunch in North Carolina and Virginia and Maryland. So they kind of like uh, opened a bunch of these, um, long story short, you know, they started to either sell them or 
bring in guys to run them. Um, one of those people was Randy from Randy's Pizza was running Tony's Pizza. And Randy is another multi-unit owner operator here in the area. And we're great friends. We talk. Um, we try not to put our stores too close to each other now. Um, <laughs> we kind of distance ourselves. We kind of have a five mile rule. Um, but he was the manager. So he hired me at 13 or 14 years old, which, you know, Amazing. you could, you could work then, um, you know, folding boxes and stuff like that. And just, you know, working for food, whatever. And, uh, that's kind of how I got in the business. And, you know, with my parents both being heavily invested in the corporate world, you know, I wanted to do the opposite, you know, because I was not one of these following my parents' job footsteps. I kind of wanted to do my own thing, not like follow the path. Cause I was always kind of like a, uh, like a wild card rascal in things that <laughs> I did. I, I always tried to like be better at the things that people thought that you couldn't be good at. Yeah, so no, I, I would, you know, I, I didn't really try hard in school though. I did all right. But I kind of always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur just from my activities, selling candy at school, baseball cards, um, you know, trading stuff, finding broken down bikes, fixing them up and selling them, you know, just, you know, pulling weeds, mowing lawns, all that kind of stuff was kind of happening along with this. And then I got my job and that was kind of like, okay, now I can just focus on learning this, this trade, you know? Yeah. So. Uh, and, and some of those early jobs were making boxes. Uh, I imagine to the extent you could sweeping, you could, sweeping, sweeping. <laughs> cleaning the, cleaning the corners with our hands. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, my first job that I got was at a local deli in New York. I was 13. I got hired to work four hours per day, $2 per hour. And I was cleaning the milk display because uh, you have to kind of clean that out and change it every few hours because milk was leaking and it would spoil. And imagine that job. So it's, it, it's yeah. I'm, I'm imagining it's like a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And we were definitely um, toughened up. Like the manage the management style was much different back then. <laughs> I would say, I wouldn't even say we were asked to do things. I wouldn't even say we were told to do things. I would say we were forced or threatened to do things, but I mean, it made us, it made us good workers. You know, I wouldn't trade that for anything. It, it I was, yeah, definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of lessons, uh, a lot of uh, habits ingrained in, in terms of work yeah. ethic, right? It made us good. Yeah. You so, know, like if you miss the spot on a dish, like you got chewed out. It made us great dishwashers. It made us great cleaners. It made yeah. us great with the customers. I mean, we we were like we were programmed to be perfect. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sounds all too familiar. And I think uh, yeah. I think it's uh, and so this was at at um at Randy's Pizza or Tony's. No, this was it was Tony's Pizza. Yep. Then it turned to Mio. Then it turned to Mio's Pizza when a guy who owned a candy shop in the mall ended up buying it he actually became the money backer for about i bet you 15 pizzerias oh wow all with in various the owners yeah 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 so this was his first delve into the pizza business and he was quite honestly the most silent partner success story i've seen in the pizza business 
He literally would come to the store for like an hour a day. He would wipe tables and just, you know, polo shirt, slacks tucked in. He did not look like he belonged in the pizza business, but he had money and he put people that he saw potential in, in a position to own their own shops. Got it. And so, so is that, how did you go from then working and managing and sort of operating inside of a shop that someone else owned? How did you take the leap to launch your own shop? Uh, was it called it, Johnny's it was, Pizza uh, from day it one? It was a long story. I mean, I, I ended up going to college. Um, I made a bunch of mistakes. I got kicked out of college, went back to college again. Um, I was working in pizzerias this entire time, mind you. Um, you know, I, uh, wherever I was, I was working in a pizzeria or cooking somewhere. Um, I never really knew that I was going to be an owner of a pizzeria. Like I couldn't definitively say I'm going to own a pizzeria one day. I would tell you that I wanted to. Um, but you know, a lot of my actions in life, decision-making that kind of, you know, some of it stemmed from, you know, the pizza business and kind of that work hard, play hard mentality. Um, I had a lot of problems with alcoholism and addiction in my early life. And uh, obviously those inhibited me from moving forward in my early twenties um, for sure. Um, but how did you overcome math, that? I mean, yeah. How what was that? How did you overcome that part of your life? You know, that's, that's, that's a challenge. A lot of people yeah, and through, but. A, a lot of people, I don't talk about it a lot, but I was in active addiction when I opened my first pizzeria. Wow. And through the first six years of running and owning and being a success in that pizzeria, I wouldn't say that my addiction fueled my success in business. I think I had a lot of talent, but I will definitely tell you that my success in business fueled my addiction. And that came to a head in 2010 when I went to a rehab and got sober and had some of my managers just run things while I was gone, which I said was an impossibility. There's no way I can't be there. So I got to figure this out. I got to clean my life up and work at the same time. And everybody was like, you're never going to be able to do that. You need like a way. So that was like the first break I had ever taken in my life was going to rehab. Like taking time for myself as a restaurant owner was something that I learned the hard way. Um, you know, I was, bur I was burnt out and I didn't even know it. That, that's right. You and, know, and you make a, you know, it's, 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 it's ironic because it took a very difficult moment in your life to actually learn a lesson that any business owner, especially pizzeria owners, you and I have spoken about probably need to learn, which is how do you create a, a system where you can trust others with your baby? with your shop. And only then can you start thinking about multiple shops, correct? And so for you, you were, you were forced out of your shop in order to deal with, you know, the challenges that you were facing, but yeah. the silver lining in that is that you learned how to trust your team. Is that, is Absolutely. that a fair statement? Yes. I wouldn't say I learned how to trust them yet. Okay. But I definitely was like, this was a good break. Now I have to go all in. And it took me about another four years, I would say, hmm. um, of really running like a chicken with my head cut off before I really learned that you can't give all tens. It's just impossible. 
I mean, if you want to be an owner operator that works seven days a week at his restaurant, you're going to strive for all tens because you're there. You're going to see all the little things that you can tweak and make, you know, you're going to have more face time with the customers. You know, it's going to be great, but you're going to have no life. So, I mean, however you want to look at that, but, you know, I remember I met with, it was pretty cool. I met with Gary V in New York and I kind of asked him about this situation I was in, which was, I wanted to expand, but I didn't know how. And he kind of told me something that I had never heard before, which he broke it down to me. He's like, Johnny, I know you don't write things down. I know you don't read. There's no book I can give you. He's like, I got a piece of advice. He goes, quit trying to deliver all tens. And I was like, but I want to do all tens. He goes, well, cool. Then just keep your one restaurant, work there every day and uh, have a good life. And he goes, you need to be happy with seven, eights and nines. And I go, but that sucks. And he goes, well, is your competitor delivering seven, eights and nines? Or are they delivering more like five, sixes and sevens? And I was like, yeah, they're more like, they're, they're never going to be as good as me because I know I use better products and I, my staff is, is more friendly. So these are things I noticed even when I'm there or when I'm not there. And he goes, cool. Then you just said it yourself. You win. Put somebody in charge. They will never be able to keep up with you. And he goes, binarily, you will beat them over time and you will put somebody in charge who's going to deliver seven, eights, and nines, take tens off the table, and you're going to grow. And that's exactly what I did. At that point, I started putting people in charge and growing my business. I, I started opening pretty much a business a year since 2016. And I want to, I definitely want to get into that before we go there. What do you think was the driver of success for your first shop? You know, you mentioned your success was fueling your own personal uh, challenges, but putting personal aside, what made that first shop so successful? I just think I was the best damn worker around. I mean, I worked to, I mean, hard work, you can win with one shop. If you're willing to work your ass to the bone to where you're bleeding 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you will win with one shop. I guarantee it. You buy the best product and be at that store every single day. I think I worked seven days a week for like four years straight. Well, you know, I mean, that will work. But I mean, as I looking back on it now, man, <laughs> I would never do that. Again. Tough. Very kind of like going to boot camp. You ask any Marine, you know, you like being a Marine. They say, oh, yeah. You say, would you go back to boot camp? 99% of them would say, hell no. Right, right, right. It's kind of like, I paid my dues. That's over. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's how I look at my first, you know, six years in the pizza business. Really six to 10 years were like really work control driven. I had to like hold everything. You know, everything had to go through me. And, and for all of the people who are saving for years and some people have saved a lot of money or enough money to open up their first shop. What is a piece of advice that you would give them to hopefully take the leap into, uh, into ownership? I would say if I could do it over again, I would have taken the first two years and done that something like that. I would not have done it as long as I did. I think that I wasted a lot of potential, um, which I have no regrets off over because the past is the past. But I think I wasted a lot of years trying to manipulate and control one income stream um, where there was a lot of opportunity, which I proved when I started to expand. Um, I'd say, you know, 
I see a lot of guys doing it now and I talk with them and, you know, they're kind of stuck in one shop. And I don't think that's bad for all people. Um, I think some people that's, you know, based on their ego and kind of what type of person they are, that might be all they're, uh, they're, they're cut out to do and maintain the lifestyle and kind of level of stress that they can handle. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of guys who I know could be multi-unit operators open a second store and fail miserably. What, so um, why do you think that's, why do you think that happens? Because they want to be two places at once. Because they cannot let go. Yeah. They cannot let go of control. So you literally will see them driving a hundred miles per hour in between two stores when every, when a problem pops up. The problem is, is ultimately a problem is going to pop up simultaneously at two locations and your head's going to explode. That's, you know, well unless said. you have, unless you have two of you, a clone of yourself, you know, you're, and you can't give up control to even a family member. I know guys that are that much of a control freak that they, their own family, they can't trust like they trust their self, you know? So, so walk, walk us through your leap from one location to two. How did you make two locations successful within this theme? Of course, of like, you clearly had to let go, but like tactically, what were some of the things you did that made sure that like the second location was set up for success? My situation was unique in that when I sold my first restaurant, um, which was due to some of the issues I had had and some of the nuisances I had brought to the shopping center in my addiction, um, you know, they would not re-sign my lease, but they would allow me to sell. Got it. So your, your first so, shop, you actually, you actually had to sell that. I had to sell it because they would not renew my lease. Yep. I literally called them and was like, Hey, I just want to renew my lease for the next five years. And they were like, yeah, about that. Um, we're not going to extend the terms of your lease. Got it. So you're now back into a place where you don't own any shops. You sold your first shop. Yeah. You don't own mm -hmm. any, almost a, a restart, right? Time to restart. Yeah, I, I, I remember I remember like coming home from work on that last day where I kind of handed the baton to the new owner. And I was just like, what, <laughs> what am I gonna do? <laughs> what am I gonna it do really, tomorrow? But I was like, we're going to Hawaii. <laughs> like <laughs> I was like, we need to go travel or something. Um, but I immediately jumped into a new shop. But what I did was is I went outside of the non-compete radius that we set by selling that shop which was five miles and i opened like 5.2 miles away um so right outside of the bubble and that was only for two years so after opening that shop in 2014 i then opened two miles down the road two years later in a bordering town so i kind of left and then kind of came back two years later got it so um, so you opened much you opened up uh, your back to your first shop. You opened up another shop uh, 5.2 miles away from your original one. And then two years after that, you opened up a shop that was only two miles away from your original shop, correct? So, but yeah, but obviously, yeah, not in between those two spots out off to the, you know, the West. Right. So as you know, I wasn't infringing upon my current shop when I opened my second. Of course. And, and how do you think about that radius? So, how do you think about how far away, how close, how did you like, did you have a plan for why these two locations yeah. were where they were? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And um, when I do that, what I typically like to do is I like, I like to draw circles. So when I plan new locations, I look at a map and I like to like kind of pinpoint where I think, I look at where, where are there a lot of homes and businesses? Where are there, I, I am a suburban pizza guy. I like the suburbs, you know, slower lunches, busy dinners. I don't like the lunch or late night crowd to be my mainstay. I why, can live off that? dinner. I think that lunch is very chaotic when you have to do serve one person, 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 serve one person. It's chaotic. And, you know, and it, yeah, it's high volume, high margin. You're selling slices and all this stuff. That's great. Um, if that's what you want. But low order. Value. I like the, but it's like low yeah. order value. Like each person that you're selling to is only buying like five or $6 of food. Exactly. It's and not- you know, my average ticket. You know my average ticket. <laughs> we'll get into so, we'll get into some of the whatever you want to share. We'll get into some of that because um, yes. speaking of average order value, there's a there's a metric we use in in digital in e-commerce in in business really, which is AOV, average order value, and um, you know, a lot of owners and operators focus on how many customers they want to serve, but there's another way to increase sales, which is sell more to each customer even on that one order and you have unlocked average order values like no one I've ever seen before. Uh, you are by far the leader in this category um, for, for any slice partner, which is now, you know, about 19,000 locations around the country. So I definitely want to talk about that, but going back to, okay, this is why you like the suburban dinner family centric customer base. And so you're kind of picking these dots, drawing, you know, radius around it. Yes, I draw circles and I kind of like six miles, seven mile delivery radius is where I like those lines to meet. Yep. So it's like, I want my drivers to be making a U-turn going back to their store, waving at each other from two different shops. Amazing. They're literally meeting at the edges. Like touch. I want them to be touching at the edge. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of like my vision. Six miles, six, seven miles is about my delivery max. Um, and, you know, I want it to be kind of like either shop can get that order that's on the edge. Yeah. I really don't care. Yeah. With but very I, little I, I overlap. I don't want there to be any gaps. I don't want there to be any gaps is what it comes down to. So it's kind of like those old charts where the two circles intersect and it's like no man's land in the middle. Yeah. The, the Venn diagram. That's like the, the wild card area. Yeah. And- that's the wild card area. And so how did you, like, that's a pretty quick turnaround. So you open up your first shop yet again. So this is the second time that you own one shop. And within two years, you have a second. How did you make that work? You know, what are, what are some of the lessons that you, that you want to share with folks who have ambitions to open up just their second location? What was the change in the way that you operated that allowed you to do that? Um, I gave up control to managers. I hired two managers per store. Because, as you know, the seven-day-a-week worker is a thing of the past. Um, It's it's tough to ask someone to work seven days a week, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, um, they know they want to work five or four. So to me, I'm going to say, well, if somebody wants to work four or five, I want two managers. Because what about the two days that they're not working? I don't want some, like, 
assistant manager to be that, that doesn't have the experience of managing working that day. And so what I do is I'll overcross those hours to where Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever, both managers are working on the busier days. So it's like you're double stacked so that you have one manager handling customers in person that if there's issues and a phone manager. So basically when you have the highest volume, you're going to have the most problems. That's when I want two managers there versus one that's off Monday, Tuesday, and all hell breaks loose on Monday, Tuesday, and there's no manager there to fix the problem. And you're just losing business, you know? So, so you I hired mean, managers, two managers per location. I imagine your first location, you kind of have on autopilot for lack of a better term. I'm sure you're there, but it's more or less, you're, you're somewhat hands-off about it. And then you're yep. kind of all focused on this second location, the build out, making sure it's launched, right? Making sure it's yep. set up for success. Um, I used to do about a month to two at a new store. Now, one and two were different because I had more time to kind of work. I think they were, it was kind of like, I felt I still needed to be involved, but warning to all single unit operators going to two stores. I don't think I made more money owning two stores than owning one. Wait, what? what? One so to why two. Is that? <laughs> well, because, I, but, but I had way more free time. Ah, got it. Got it. So I had more of a life and was pretty much doing, and I had a lot more write-offs. So that was good. So I wasn't making more money on paper, but I had more freedom to spend with the company and improve my stores and money was less of an issue. I just felt like there was more of it yet. It still went like I had one shot. Yeah. It makes, sense. I, I, it makes a lot of sense. You in essence put the foundation to zoom out yourself, manage the operation, but you're also now building the foundation for store three, four, five, because Which, not that much is change. when things really changed. That's when things changed. Store three for me was like, aha, I'm getting this. I opened store three and I made a mistake doing it. I over-promoted this opening. I was excited. <laughs> I was really excited. Let's I mean, talk I, about store I three. Social, let's, let's I get had into a it. social media presence. I had a social media presence. People are excited. Johnny's is coming to Wake Forest. I mean, this is going to be huge. So I'm. It's coming. It's coming next week. Okay, one more week. We're waiting on inspections. Da, 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 da. To the point where people are like, "Why aren't you opening?" They almost got mad. Them getting mad made it even bigger. People were like, "This is bullshit. Why isn't he opening?" <laughs> like on social media. I mean, it was becoming this like citywide issue. When is Johnny's opening? When is Johnny's opening? I put, I opened up all the third parties, all of them. It was insane. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. And we, we opened Monday night. We didn't open Monday day. We opened Monday night. We said, we're opening tonight. And then tomorrow, starting Tuesday, we're open. We did $72,000 our first six and a half days open. Wow. Insane. More complaints. I mean, dude, I had to get on Facebook live. I had 10,000 people watching it. You know what I'm saying? I'm apologizing to the community. Our pizza took five hours. I mean, it was, it was like the biggest, I had the biggest ego inflation and the biggest ego deflation of what I thought I was capable of at the same time. 
I mean, just so people, was like, so people know what that means. The average pizza shop, the average, I'm not talking average across the country does about 10 to 15,000 in sales per week. You did 72 yeah. in the first six days. That's like yeah. seven times what an average shop realizes in this brand new location with obviously all the kinks that you have to kind of, you know, yeah, figure I mean, out people didn't, we didn't even know how to walk around, you know, I mean, you know, it's literally, it boils down to like two employees know that when we pass each other, I go right, you go left. I mean, employees are bumping into each other. You know, people are burning their arms on the oven, walking by, screaming in front of customers. Pizza's getting dropped because they get bumped. I mean, every problem happened and literally Wake Forest showed up. And um, I, I was like, you know, now it's still probably my best store. Um, in a lot of ways. Um, so your third store and, is your uh, best store. Huh? Your, your third store is your best. And, you know, for a lot of people, their first is usually the best. What do you think made, made Wake Forest your best store? Is it something you're doing different there? Well, I can tell you what happened. The yeah. reason that my first store was my best was because I was on the edge of town in a highly growing area. So I was kind of the only game in town and there was nothing but houses. My sales have actually gone down at that store over time because... Lots of com competitors have come in. There are more options. I did, I was doing two and a half million a year out of that store in my second year. Um, you know, and now it's right there under two, which, you know, people would say, damn, it fell off a lot. Well, when you're the only McDonald's in town surrounded by houses, when Burger King, Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and Chick-fil-A open, you right. know, you can't expect to be doing the sales you were when you were all alone. Right. So I kind of expected that. You know, yeah, I knew that it was too good to be true and that it wouldn't last forever, but it's still a powerhouse. Absolutely. You know? I mean, so, anything close to yeah. 2 million a year in sales for one shop is, I mean, relatively speaking, best in class nationwide, by the way. Uh, so yeah. kudos to and you. So now my store, my store three in Wake Forest is, is pumping numbers like that. Amazing. You know, consistently, consistently. And so, so I'm happy about that. And so just briefly walk us through what a day is for Johnny managing three stores versus what a day was for Johnny. Well, managing it's four one. now. Four now. Now Fuquay yep. Varina is open. Congratulations. I still haven't launched the food truck. Like that's like the thorn in my side, <laughs> but you know, being a, uh, an ex, you know, being an ex addict and alcoholic that still has some of those tendencies, I can rationalize anything. And I'm like, it's a diesel motor. If I'm not using it, it's not costing me anything. <laughs> so like it, I own it. It's been written off and it's sitting, it's like ready to go. So it's like, it's not costing me any money not to use it. If yeah. anything, I'm going to get more life out of it by not using it. So the six months or year I'm not using it now will be later. You know what I'm saying? And I, I want to talk so, about your vision for the food truck and, and, and the future. But just even even with the four stores versus what's the one day store, look like? How did like what does your day look like today versus what it was when you had one shop? You want to know what my day looks like now? It's totally different. What my day revolves around now, and this is going to sound crazy to anybody watching this, it's in the pizza business, is personal self care, taking care of myself emotionally, physically, spiritually, and mentally, 
so that I can bring the best mind into the business and make the best choices up here. Because I don't make the best choices with my hand anymore. I don't make the best pizza or cut the best pizza or, you know, I need to be sharp for my distributors. I need to be sharp on my marketing. So really it's about how do I take care of myself? Because I am the brains of the operation. And I don't think a lot of pizzeria owners really focus on their brain as their most important muscle in business. Um, and that's kind of what I've done. And um, it's a very analytical business for me now where it was a very physical, work-driven, one foot in front of the other business. Now it's kind of a like, let's sit back and really think about what are the best moves that we can make with the business. And I use my employees um, and I get feedback from them. And I kind of say like, what do you think about this? And I bounce ideas off them versus, you know, just saying, hey, do this, hey, do this, hey, do this. It's a really a, a group effort. And um, so if I'm not taking care of myself, um, the business will suffer. Really well said. I mean, that's just really well said. And the one tactical question I wanted to ask, because it's such a such an important um, aspect to so many operators, everyone kind of has challenges finding that one or two managers, to your point. Many find it very difficult to find the manager that's going to help them and give them some time back, give them some room to be able to think about the business, to think about location two or three. Many struggle, but you, you've, you've found it relatively, you've been very successful in finding these managers. And I think you have some really good insights here. Some of them have to do with, you know, wages. Some of them have to do with autonomy and ownership, but walk me through how you've been so successful in finding great managers. Um, I think the number one thing is I've been patient. Um, no manager is going to run things the way I want it exactly. Mm -hmm. And I have to give them the freedom to do it the way that makes them comfortable within the bounds of what is right for the customer and for their staff. Um, I give them a lot of freedom to make decisions on how to fix issues with customers. Um, I'm not going to chew them out if they have to comp an order or give some food away or whatever. Um, I mean, it's all about keeping the customer happy. And I stay in touch with my local kind of uh, job market. And I, I, I want to be the best in-class paying employer. I want to offer the most benefits and options. I want to be able to offer managers the opportunity to buy in ownership or work into ownership or profit sharing. I do a lot of things that, you know, were definitely not offered to me. Um, so, you know, to me, it's about changing what I saw growing up in this business and making it, you know, more into what, you know, the Chipotle's and stuff of the world are doing. I, when I go to Chipotle or I see these hiring pamphlets at any place, I take them. Um, you know, it's really interesting to look at, you know, what they offer per hour, what the benefits are, what um, incentives they're offering employees now. Because if you notice, everybody's hiring now. So this is a great opportunity to learn from the competitors industry-wide and kind of see like what, which places seem to be making it and what are they doing? You know, it's free information, you know? So I, I, I try love, to copy that. I love that you're 
an independent shop operator and owner who views Chipotle as a competitor. That's that's awesome. And yeah, you know, you and I have spoken about this a lot. We can we can get a little bit more tactical here, which is, uh, you know, when I walk into some shops and they have complete sort of uh, gaps in anything that resembles digital. So they're kind of writing down their sales on a piece of paper. Uh, they're taking phone orders and writing it down on these like paper tickets. And what happens is the business now is, in my opinion, completely blind to what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis to understand who their customers are, how much they're ordering, where the opportunities are. Because you, you mentioned how important data and information is to you and the feedback you get from your from your team that then allows you to start thinking about where the opportunities are and i mean look you walk into a chipotle or a mcdonald's they're not writing anything down all of them are um you know fitted with best in class technology and point of sale solutions and online ordering and mobile ordering um you know walk walk us through what led you to embrace digital what led you to embrace analytics you you, you mentioned analytics that's a it's a big component of success, even for one shop. Yeah. But yeah, walk, yeah, walk us through I, I think it had a lot to do with, I'll be honest, I had, it had a lot to do with Slice um, and um, just kind of watching a digital platform grow underneath the umbrella of my own business. Whereas like I can watch Grubhub and DoorDash grow, but that's kind of their thing. Like they have their own drivers, their own marketing solutions. They're doing something that I don't know about. You know, it's like, they're not letting me in to really see what's going on, you know? Correct. So it's like, those orders come, those orders go. We try to bring as many over to us as possible. That's our goal. But watching myself promote slice and grow and watch the average ticket rise gave me hope for what is a diminishing cash business. Um, you know, it used to be a cash business and that was a large way that we made our money. And, you know, I don't have to get into all of that, but you know, the average ticket was lower, but there were incentives to being a cash business. Okay. Well now my average ticket is much larger and it's digital. So yeah, everything is kind of on paper and that's great. But with that average ticket, that gave me hope because that showed me that when people order digitally, they spend more money, period. It's Without a fact. A doubt. Yeah, look, you know what I'm saying? So I'm looking forward to having kiosks like McDonald's in my shops yep. because then I know Slice will be on the screen and that customer who walked in and ordered face-to-face -face that spends 35 will now be spending 52 or 55 or $60 because now the way they order has been altered completely. Yep. So now it's fake money on a screen, extra sauces are charged for, because as you know, when somebody orders, wants extra sauce and they order online, they have to pay for it. When they order two large pizzas and buffalo wings in the store, they get handed their food and they go, let me get three more ranches. And of course we give it to them because you know the whole story of, you know, always give to the customer. Yeah. I would never ring up that customer for those ranches. Yeah. But, but here's you know, the, here's sort of the, it's such a good point because the reality is that most of the business is moving to prepaid orders, credit card orders, mobile orders, digital orders. And yes, for the most part, that means that the cash aspect of the business 
is without a doubt uh, shrinking quickly. And there's a lot of owners and operators who view that as a, as a, as a bad thing, but I think there's pros and cons to everything. And I think the challenges with a primarily cash business are one, to your point, much lower ticket sizes. So people are ordering less food. Two, how many owners you know are concerned with theft? I mean, every owner that I know that is predominantly running a cash business is really concerned about theft, which is one of the reasons why they want to be at the shop all the time. They don't trust the staff. There's a lot of theft, and there is. Yeah. And, and then so, you know, when you flip that to a, a digital order, well, th there's no theft because everything's recorded. There's a ledger. Mm -hmm. Two, the, cu the customer's ordering a lot more food. Three, you now have a direct relationship with the customer online through either email, mm -hmm. text, push notifications, and you can communicate with them in real time in a way that's really personalized. Whereas you know, someone calling and paying cash and you don't know who they are and they're just kind of ordering by memory, their yeah, value Jimmy. to the, yeah, it's, it's very different. And so it's, it's really a, a good point because there's a silver lining. I think it's really important for shop owners to embrace the credit card prepaid mobile order customer uh, and not be so concerned about cash, you know, the cash aspect of the business shrinking. Would you agree with, with more or less what I've just shared? Yeah. I mean, my deposits from your company are to the point now where I can run my business off. There, <laughs> I talked to my accountant about this and he goes, Johnny, and he literally said this to me and he's a smart guy. He goes, Johnny, there's going to be a day where you're going to have to make a decision. And I go, what's that decision? He goes, you're going to have to decide to shut your front door, get rid of all of your people answering the phone, go to just your online sales and cooks and delivery drivers, and you'll probably be more profitable. Interesting. Interesting. He said, because with the amount of sales that are coming in online, if you could just eliminate phone orders and get rid of all those people you have answering phones, cashiers, managers get rid of them and just keep people cooking those orders that come in online and deliver them or forget about it don't even deliver them third party deliver them he goes looking at your sales the way the disparity of growth of online versus the diminishing of in-store phone um orders and dine-in he goes it's obvious where your business is headed it's a, so that's a powerful statement yeah. And I mean, it's like, do I want to fire a bunch of people and redo the way I do business? No, I really don't. Um, so what I do is I try to figure out ways to promote. I wouldn't, for a long time, I was like, order online, order online, order online. Now I'm like, call in, call in, call in. Yeah. yeah. All of my deals now are call in only because online, that train is on the track, baby. Yeah. That thing is rolling. So you want to you grow know, your, your, you your, yeah. Yeah, you can't you can't stop that train. You can almost set you can set a, a you know a it's like you can set your watch to those online orders. Yeah, because like, they're very predictable. A, yeah. yeah, yeah. I have a entire customer base that I can communicate when there's a problem, and they're just ordering. 
They just love the food. They love yeah. the food. Less less mistakes. Everything's everything's transparent. Even if there's a an order that was placed with the wrong item, the consumer knows that it's them who, you know, ordered it wrong. And there's I no still bit. give them what they want for <laughs> Still. So to to kind of turn the page here, one of the well, actually one last question there. We we spoke earlier about average order value. What are some, you don't have to share all the secrets, but what are some insights or some, some things that you've done that helped you bring the average order value per order into, uh, if, you, if you're comfortable sharing the number, you can share it, but. Is it, is it 60? It's in the 50s. It's in the 50s. So yeah. every time on average, Johnny's will get hundreds and then thousands of orders you know, every quarter, every year, hundreds of thousands of orders. On average, each one of those orders is something like $55, $56, which is unbelievable. By the way, the average on Slice across every other shop is about $36, $37. You're almost twice that. How did you do that? Okay. <laughs> First, there's two things. We're pizza shops, right? That's I right. do everything in my power to hide pizza from the customers. So I want my menu to be stacked everywhere except pizza. Because I know they're going to order pizza. Why are they calling a pizza shop? So my, my goal is to present as many unique options outside of pizza as possible. Not as many gourmet pizzas as possible. Everybody's tried a taco pizza or a barbecue chicken pizza. I mean, you're not gonna excite somebody with some new pizza. Excite them with maybe a cheeseburger sub or cheese stuffed breadsticks, a weird jalapeno popper, Nutella, fried Nutella, um, lots of desserts, because pizzerias struggle on desserts. They do. I have, I think, 13 or 14 desserts on my menu. You know, different types of cakes, you know, different. And I have 30 appetizers, you know? It's like, I have a lot of different salads. I actually put pasta before pizza on the menu. So as they're scrolling, so it's like, they might order an appetizer, a salad and a pasta dish before they've even gotten to pizza. Now they get to pizza. Oh yeah, now they need drinks, da, 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 da. There's that. So it's really about menu building. Tactical menu building is a good one. Um, I've told this to many owner operators. They still won't change it. Making sure that your online menu is correct, accurate, that every single modifier is correct and charged appropriately for. I know a lot of guys are like, who cares? They're ordering online. Well, no, it's like if you put extra cheese on that, you deserve the $1.50. Yeah, you actually um, drove from, you drove from North Carolina to our office and you literally spent two days with our team making sure your menu is as robust and complete as possible. And, and I think one of your most ongoing sort of topics with our team is about menu optimization, both in terms of making sure it's correct and modifiers are there and the charges are there, but also testing different ways of presenting the menu to continue yep. to obviously create value on a, on a per order basis. Yes, the, the, I'm gonna give you the golden trick too because I, I really don't care. <laughs> okay. Is, and I've mentioned this to other owners and they don't get it. Putting 
discounted modifier items within menu choices. Having a discounted fresh deep fried chips or fries within subs, uh, breadsticks or reduced price salads within pasta dishes, um, discount mozzarella sticks or garlic knots within pizza. So you take a dollar or two off that appetizer salad or dessert price, embed it into an item at the bottom to where there's no way they can get that price unless they order that item. Because if they back out of that item, now they're gonna be paying $8 for mozzarella sticks, not six. So they can get the mozzarella sticks for six, it just gets added into the pizza price. So now instead of the pizza being $22 for a pepperoni pizza, it's $28 for that item, but they're getting mozzarella sticks and a pepperoni pizza. So, so you just to make it like- incentives. Oh, go for yeah. it. You're incentivizing a discount within an item as a modifier where that's the only way they're going to get that item at that price. And to, to say it very simply for people who may not understand what a modifier is, in essence, if I go to Johnny's online menu and I add a pepperoni pizza, once you add a pizza, there's a section that allows you to then add more toppings. So you can add, you know, uh, Meatball toppings on top of that, you can do, you know, whatever it is that you want to add to it. But in that toppings section, you're actually adding full items from like your appetizer menu. You're just adding it at a discount. And so now you're almost ensuring that the customer is going to order two items instead of one. Um, and in order to get access to that other item, they're, they're going to have to order one of your core products, which is a pepperoni pizza. Exactly. And it's, it's, it's a very, I, I came up with it because I was looking for when is Slice going to have pop-ups that are like, hey, you want to add? So that was my way of doing what the Papa John's and the Domino's who spend a lot of money developing their system. And I'm like, they're popping up items. So I want to pop up items. Well, I'm going to pop up items in my own way. And it was really simple because if they back out of that item and be like, well, I'm going to go order mozzarella sticks first for $6. So they back out of the pizza, they go to the appetizer menu and they're like, oh, these are eight. They try to click on it. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. They'll X out of that. They'll go back to the pizza and they'll order it in there. That's right. So and they then, weren't even going to order mozzarella sticks. Yeah. They weren't going to order mozzarella sticks. Let's remember that. And they then weren't going to order them. And since then, Slice has introduced add-ons. So in essence, there's now another page where other options which i've seen are then recommended on top of that and and now you have a snowball effect where so many different yeah. options and great opportunities are presented to the customer it's merchandising in essence and the consumer has visibility into so many great products that your team has worked on now let's compare that to the phone not not the mm -hmm. way you answer the phone but the way most shops answer the phone which is super busy probably the owner sometimes answering it answers the phone, says, hi, how can I help you? The person says, can I get a large pizza? And they're like, sure, is that it? And like, how is that experience going to result in more sales than an experience like the one that you just walked us through where there's a complete robust sort of, sort of set of menu items transparently presented to the customers along the journey? I think it's a, I think the phone is a dying method. I mean, I've done everything I can do yep. for incentivizing, for incentivizing upsells, 
I mean, you name it. When we do have a good upsell program running, it works very well. The problem is, is keeping it consistent. And a manager has to literally babysit a staff to make it happen. And that's counterproductive. It is. You know, a manager should not be having to babysit the phones to hear somebody say, would you like a dozen garlic knots with that for only $5? Yeah, it's not going to happen you know, consistently. And we've incentivized it. We've incentivized it to where the staff actually makes more money. And it still is few and far between. It, For it, sure. it, it's not a long-term solution. For sure. I'm going to turn the page. Um, you've got one of the most um, successful and authentic uh, social media presences of not just any pizza operator, but any business owner, small business owner in the country. Um, I think you're close to about 400,000 followers on Instagram. I know you're super active on, um, on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and so on and so forth. Like you mentioned Gary V before. I have to imagine that had something to do with it. Cause I know Gary V's, uh, strong beliefs around this, around this topic. How did you, how did you get to this point? And how much is that contributing um, to your success? Uh, I think it's at a point now where I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. <laughs> um, I think I'm going to take it a different direction okay. at some point and kind of um, pivot what I'm using it for. Um, I don't think I need to use it to promote my brand anymore as much as I need to use it as a channel to motivate, inspire, and kind of bring recognition to the small business owner and the trials and tribulations that owning a business brings to a person's life. Um, I think that you can only use social media for so long to promote your brand and inspire people to spend money with you before you have to be, I think social media is becoming an authentic, um, channel. I think that people will see, I think that people will eventually see through the marketing aspects of social media. And I think they want to see content and information that is real and informative and inspiring or educational and uh, doesn't have a product tied to it. Yeah. Can um, I, if I can say it this way, um, because I completely agree with you. I think people want to see your values authentically come forward mm -hmm. through your social media presence. They want to know what Johnny is about, what you believe mm -hmm. in, what are core, like what are the values that are core to who you are. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then through those values, if they share those values with you, then by default, they'll want to buy your product. And I think a good exactly. analogy here is like, you know, I don't know that Nike talks about how strong their sneakers are. They don't talk about how either expensive or inexpensive their sneakers are. They don't talk about like the colors of their sneakers. What Nike talks about is the values of Nike and what they believe in. They talk about how, you know, just do it, right? They talk about, uh, they, they inspire people with their values around you know, going for it and individual, you know, accomplishments and team accomplishments and all these things that they believe. And if you believe those things too, it's very likely you'll 
you'll buy a pair of Nike sneakers. And I yeah. think, um, you know, it's, I've started to see some of that content come across from your social media channels, including some of the amazing work you're doing for the local communities in feeding those in need, helping people in need. Talk a little bit more about what are your values, Johnny? Um, well, it was funny because what started happening is, is I, people started to reach out to me and it became, I was just somebody you hit up if you need help. So word got around town that it's like, if you have a charity or work, Johnny will say yes, which is great. I still do, you know, because I've gotten to the point where it's like, you know, you have nothing, then you have something and then you have enough you can give back. I think that's kind of the, the progression of an entrepreneur because what good is making all this money if you can't give back, you know, to where you came from. Um, and uh, what started as just like, hey, would you like to come feed some homeless people one night? Um, it inspired me to the point where I wanted it to happen every week. And, um, you know, we're going to build out a nonprofit doing that. And um, what I saw was, is there's a lot of snakes, yes men, and people who want to take advantage of you when you grow in this business. And what I saw was some of the most humble, nice, and authentic people I've ever met were people who are living on the street at night. And it really opened my eyes because I've never seen people so appreciative of something that so many of us would consider a given. And that really inspired me to be like, this is part of my calling. Um, I would be stupid not to continue doing this forever. Um, I have the ability to, I haven't looked back once. I haven't said, well, I'm giving, I haven't even thought what I'm giving away, you know? Um, and it has helped me um, at a time when I was kind of looking for what's next, more shops maybe, but I was like, this is really the next phase of what I want to do is, you know, and it's, it's, it's caught some like backlash. It's funny. It's almost like, you know, I, I kind of, I've pulled away from social media while doing this because I don't want this to be a, uh, some kind of charade for publicity. So people would say, I would expect it to have seen you more talking about what you're doing. In fact, I'm on social media way less now. Um, it's very much, it's not about me much anymore. My social media has changed considerably. Um, so I'm making it more about the community and then I can figure out how to pivot into delivering the message of what I wanna do for the community long-term. And the pizzerias are just a catalyst for what I can do for the community. Um, not just how I can earn money with my pizzerias to take care of my family and my staff and, you know, employ people, which is great, 
but you know, there's more to life than that. And I think that has contributed a lot to my spirituality and sense of well-being for doing what's right. And um, which is another thing that I think a lot of guys in business are missing out on. I don't think they're doing it wrong. I think they're missing out on a lot of joys that they haven't experienced yet. Um, and that's why I kind of talk with owners and I'm like, you really need to get into the community more and try um, using your heart instead of your mind in the community. And so that's, that's, you know, that, that leads me to big. a question, which is, what would you say to owners and operators who are unfamiliar with, you know, really connecting with the community, unfamiliar with social media? Like, you know, what do you think, what do you think was your secret or maybe not a secret, but like what allowed you to overcome the anxiety or the intimidation that is social media, putting yourself out there, by the way, it comes with risks because when you put yourself out there exactly to your point, you're going to have naysayers. You're going to have people who are not going to like the things you, you, you say or the things you yeah. do and not everyone will. And they're that that's the price of being authentic is that, yeah. you know, yeah. you're, you're going to sometimes things maybe maybe a little bit polarizing. What would you say to owners who are hesitating for those reasons? I would say do what feels right. It's going to feel on, it's going to feel wrong, whether it's right or wrong initially. So, um, you know, putting yourself out there for the good of your business and your staff, because I mean, owners take risks and make sacrifices for their staff and their business all the time. This is just another one. And this is the newer one, um, which I think scares a lot of people. I know a lot of charismatic pizza shop owners out there that aren't on social media. And what I would tell to them is your charisma will transfer precisely, if not more than it is in person on social media. If you were to bring your personality to that stage, people that you don't even have in front of you will be drawn to you. And that will give you more growth, more employees. You'll be able to pay your employees more. Think of it as a way to improve your business, not as this hindrance or pain in the butt. It's just part of what you have to do. I mean, you know, it, at the end of the day, I kind of look at it like, you remember like the used car commercials that used to be on TV. There was, all, it, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, you kind of have to, those guys who used to make those commercials, I'm sure they didn't love doing that, but some of them embraced it and some of them didn't. And the ones that embraced it did better because people remember that commercial or, you know, it's kind of like they put themselves out there, whether it was funny, informative, goofy, stupid, it doesn't matter. It's like, you know, they were looking for attention because they're in a business that's a, you know, an impulse business. Sometimes, you know, people want to eat, they want to buy cars, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you know, I kind of look at myself at one point, I was kind of the used car salesman of pizza. You have to put you know, yourself out like there. That. Yeah, I, I, was, I was doing a lot of funny content. I used to think like, what can I do that'll be funny? You know, I didn't, I hadn't found my, my niche yet, you know? And so I experimented with like, am I, am I, you know, am I an informative 
pizza guy? Am I a funny pizza guy? Am I a cool pizza guy? I bought all sorts of different shoes and jackets and tried different looks and different slangs and different ways of addressing the consumer. Loud, quiet, calm, um, humble, you know, and kind of just, you know, toyed around with, you know, how am I going to present myself? Because I can be authentic in a number of ways because I, you know, I've been in this business a long time and I, I am a, I am a chameleon of sorts. I've, you know, lived in a lot of different places. I was moved around as a kid. Um, So, I mean, I had to adapt. So I think social media was a breath of fresh air for me because it gave me a chance to have an adaptable platform where I could connect with my community and kind of be the person that the community needs to see to achieve the goals that AI need and the community needs and my staff needs. Because as my business grows, everybody get everything gets better for everybody. Yeah, and it, look, it takes um, experimentation. It takes trying all those things to find yourself. Yeah. So you've got to- Yeah, not every actor that ends up in horror movies wanted to do horror movies, but that's, you know. Right, right. I mean, who wants to do horror movies when they get into acting? <laughs> but there's a lot of guys who found that as their niche. Right. And we're very successful at it and ended up loving it. I mean, you know, you don't know where it'll take you, you know? Totally. And, um, but what I will say is that, you know, the best content creators out there are genuine to themselves and find a lane and typically stay in it once they've kind of found their voice and their niche. So well, if something's okay. working for you, stick with it. <laughs> And look, what keeps you so engaged in the in the pizza industry? Like, uh, I've seen you come to some events hosted by Slice, and you're educating other owners. You're helping them understand some of the challenges they're going through. You're really outspoken in the community. What drives this level of engagement that you have um, within the pizza industry? And and then, you know, how do you make sure that you yourself remain and 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 Johnny's Pizza remains relevant and fresh over time? Yeah, I think that, you know, giving back to your industry is very important. Um, I mean, this industry has given me a life and allowed me to provide for my family and others, um, even beyond my immediate family at times. Um, So as long as they're not my direct competitors, I offer all the help I can give. free of charge, you know, because we're not holding like these golden nuggets that are like a course that needs to be paid for online. These are simple ideas um, that took me very little time to come up with, but just took time to execute on. And, you know, so ultimately it's going to be up to the owner to make these changes. I can tell them what to do. It's going to take time, A, to see these changes take place, and B, to really see the results of these changes. These are not things that are going to turn a business around overnight. Um, Some of these strategies that I use, whether it be social media or building menus online or, you know, paying well, like these things all take time. And, you know, I think a lot of restaurant owners want the quick fix, the, you know, pay for this and it's done type thing. And I just don't think that that's going to be the, the way it is in reality. So yeah, I love going to events and I love showing people my sales on Slice when they're unsure. I love that 
because it sparks in their head that if he can do it, I can do it too. And I want them to be successful because ultimately if they're successful, they're taking money out of the pocket of Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's, Little Caesars, Marco's, freaking Jets, and all these <laughs> other guys that I'm going to tell you what, man, they're not getting worse no. at what they do. No, they're getting better. Yeah. They're getting better. <laughs> so just realize that like, we rest on this, we're authentic, we care, we buy better products, we, we, we. And we kind of like rest on it like an old cane that grandpa's got. Well, let me tell you, eventually that cane's gonna break. And well, we gotta have a stronger, we gotta have a stronger cane, you, which look, means we gotta change too. The, 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 the secret in everything that you said that I genuinely believe it is in the word we. Because independents primarily operate as I, 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 I. And the same thing that makes independence really strong in being that authentic individual is also the same, um, same quality that creates challenges for them when they have to compete with some of these big chains. And it's been my belief now for you know, 12, 13 years that in order for independence to win, we really have to unlock a sense of community so that we can go from I to we. Now, of course, there's hyper-local competition. To your point, you're direct competitors. But you probably have no more than four or five direct competitors. But there are... And the funny thing is, is yeah. that we all, we're all friends. Yeah. In a... It, it's like sibling rivalry would be the totally. exact way to put it. Totally. We're like brothers who are at each other's neck trying <laughs> to impress our parents. But you drive like, each other. We all want, yes. You drive yeah. each other to be we, better. Yeah, we do. And we do. Who do you think I'm looking at? What's, what's, what's Randy charging? Right. What's Alfredo charging? What's Carlo charging for an 18 inch pie? Right. Who's at 20? Has anybody hit 20 yet? Right. Who's at, you know, right. And, and so, I, you know, and it, but, but imagine now the power that can you, that you can unlock if you tap into a community of 30, 40,000 independent shop owners, there are, you know, there are 6,000 Domino's pizza locations in the U S and there are 42,000 independent pizza locations in the U S and if we can find a way to tap into and unlock the community that is 42,000 locations where some things can be shared insights, Boxes, lessons, containers, right. cups. Yeah. I think and basically that what you would do is you would create the largest, you would create the largest supply chain in the country for a restaurant, but, but with the largest scale, which means the best prices. Right. And so I think that exactly. there's, I really do believe that the, the opportunity as we look into the future is how do we go from I to we? Um, but speaking about the future, what is next for Johnny's Pizza? Like, let's fast forward five years from now. Okay. What what is, I would say what is Johnny's that, Pizza? Um, I would say I have more locations. I would say that I'm going to be getting more into the kind of the food truck. Mm -hmm. um, I'm creating this, like my food truck, for example. I'm selling slices. That's it. Cheese, pepperoni. That's it. 
whole pie or slices. So I'm basically taking <coughs> food truck as a unique thing because it's like you're fulfilling a need now. You're not just a choice. You are dependent on and needed. So as long as you execute on, I can serve as many people as you need. I will be there on time. I will stay as long as you need me to. I am at your will. I am at your bidding. Tell me what you need from me. How many people are going to be there? When do you need me there? I can serve them all quicker than any other food truck. I'm going to make the lines disappear. The caveat is I'm having two choices, cheese or pepperoni pizza, which everybody can agree on. And you can buy whole pies or buy the slice. That's it. That's it. And drinks. That's it. How many trucks and are so out there I'm in taking, five years? Yeah, how exactly. Many trucks, because how many, I'm saying, how many trucks do you have in five years? Let's, let's, let's put some predictions out there so we can come I back. don't know. I would say probably, <laughs> I would, depending on how this first one works, I mean, I could have done a gig a day for the past year. And I'm not worried about it because I know that once I start, that's my biggest hang up is I need to make sure it's staffed properly. Mm -hmm. And like people open food trucks very loosely, I think. It's kind of like this, yeah, let's open a food truck. Well, I look at it as a business. So it's food trucks for a lot of people are like a stick, dip your toe in the water entry into the food business. To me, this is maximizing what I already know and taking what is going to be a guaranteed marketplace and dominating it and exploiting it for the needs it has, which is it needs food now, quick, efficient. Okay. That's the key, you know? And so I'm going to, I'm probably going to grow that side of my business because I think that food trucks with a simple menu are very scalable, like with uh, kind of like Chipotle. Yeah. Chipotle sells one item, really. They sell a burrito that's either in a bowl or a wrap. That's, that's their menu. That's it. And that's why they're able to grow and scale so easily is due to the ease of their product. So I'm like, what can I learn from them? And it's, I want to create a Johnny's Pizza version that is very simplified but still delivers the flavor of Johnny's pizza, which is the pizza. I don't need to have all the, the goodies along with it because if they want that, they can go to one of my units. You know what I'm saying? Awesome. Awesome. Johnny, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, yeah. Wishing you continued success. You're one of the best operators in the country. Thank you for opening up, uh, you know, to this conversation uh, and going back to some of the stories in the early days. And um, hopefully in five years, we can be back here talking about your food truck empire on top of the, <laughs> you know, Johnny's pizzas locations that are, uh, that are just doing a, a great job. Yeah. And the one last thing I will say is, you know, there's always more to talk about and there'd be nobody I'd rather talk about it with you than you. I have told you that my family is indebted to your company because Slice truly did change my business and change my life. It really did. Thank um, you, John. I don't know where I'd be after Eat24 got bought by Grubhub. I can only imagine if I was paying what I would have needed to pay to keep those orders flowing that this whole time through one of the other third parties other than Slice. I don't know what would have happened. Thank you so much. I'd probably be out of business. I'd probably be out of business. I mean, I, I'm, that's just... 
just doing the math. I mean, I, so it's been a true, I owe you a debt. I owe you a debt of gratitude and what you've done, not just here, but back in your home country with slice is just amazing. And, uh, really inspiring and is, uh, something that I, you know, would love to achieve one day to give back on the scale that you have. Thank you so much, Johnny. We'll, we'll, we'll have to make a trip to Macedonia together. I'm sure the whole team there I'm, can't I'm, wait I'm to down to go. Awesome. I awesome. just watched War Dogs last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you, Johnny. Have a great day. Take it easy, man. All right. Bye.